Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WET, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the Health Promotion Suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for a non-traditional campus. My name is Bella, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Josh, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And my name is Quinn. My pronouns are he, him, his. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be your hosts for this podcast. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another What's Up Wellness from the Third Floor podcast. And this is Crystal. I use she, her pronouns, and I am here today with Bella. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about wealth and health, buying and selling a human right. And essentially, we're going to be talking about capitalism and how that impacts our health and a bunch of the different nuances um, with that. And we're just going to get right into it. So the first thing that we want to address when talking about uh, capitalism is sort of the history of the United States as a nation and some of the things that have built this system of influence that we deal with today. Um, And so one of the first things is slavery. And so Bella, do you want to talk a little bit about that? (laughs) Yeah, let's let's start from the beginning um, of the colonized U.S. as we know it. Um, there is a book called The Half Has Never Been Told, Slavery and the Making of American Capitalism by Edward Baptiste, and it really breaks down the connection between capitalism, um, slavery, and why our American economy is the way that it is, and how much of that growth is really attributed to the exploitation of human beings, um, And I think it's just important to acknowledge that when we're talking about um, capitalism in the United States and and very much like how these um, Western societies have, have, you know, dominated the world for so long is because of exploitation and um, racism and capitalism are like inherently intertwined. You know, you kind of can't talk about one without talking about the other because capitalism is really about you know using humans as machines and we start with slavery but it continues today um in in ways that are really destructive and part of the reason they're destructive is because they're so ingrained in our society and so like covertly just part of our everyday you know structures that it's really hard to name a lot of the time and also racism is is tied to capitalism in the way that um racist stereotypes and prejudices um are created in terms of ability to contribute to the to the world to be productive to produce um ability to you know work ethic that sort of thing and and ability to really contribute to the the overall narrative about what a a good person is what a a working person is what a civil society looks like and um yeah those those are all very tied together (laughs) um and 
And actually a lot of the reasons, if you go into that book, a lot of the reasons for the abolition of slavery was not because of the, the good kind hearts of those white people in the, in the North. Um, <laughs> it was actually from people on both sides, the North and the South, thinking that, um, that industrialization was gonna be more profitable than rural slavery, um, which was actually incorrect, but in, in some ways, correct in other ways. Um, but that was the driving factor behind uh, what, what got a lot of people behind the abolition of slavery. So it's economics is very much tied to race and morality in this country and immorality, of course. Um, and it's important to acknowledge those roots when we start to dissect how it shows up today. Yeah, absolutely. And also I was reading recently about how um, different sort of uh, forms of oppression. Uh, so for example, capitalism is um, kind of a modern way of still upholding racism, even though we've had sort of some of these, you know, changes in civil rights and this shift towards racism being sort of immoral, but still upheld socially. Mm-hmm. Um, and capitalism is one of the ways that that happens, right? It's sort of a, a covert way to uphold racism while saying, no, no, we don't have racism anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another sort of dynamic that is at play um, in modern society. And so uh, next, we're going to talk a little bit about how does um, capitalism show up in our society sort of overall, what are some of the the trends and the patterns and things that we continue to see? And Bella started to mention, you know, productivity and contribution and this uh, idea really being tied to um, slavery in the past and how we still see that, um, that, that push for high productivity um, to be prioritized and really put above everything else. Um, we see a lot of, you know, a valuing of uh, stress and work and um, contribution and production over um, things that are very fundamental, like health and things that, you know, impact if we, if we're alive or not. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it's and, really prioritized. I mean, and slavery, like we were mentioning, is the most like kind of concrete example of valuing productivity over human life and well-being and human rights, but this is absolutely pervasive and slavery still exists in the world in that sense, but it also exists in the way that, um, you know, we, we value stress and we value, we value like working yourself to the bone, um, and, and prioritizing, um, you know, these these things your nine to five over your well-being and and that really starts to eat at people and i think this pandemic has really like kind of illuminated and amplified a lot of those issues that we were we're already dealing with um but we've really had to sit down and face in the past year or so um so that that's definitely a big way that it shows up and um that also results in comparison and pressure and and you know feeling like 
success has to look a very specific way. And if we're not meeting those standards, then we're not um, enough. We're not worthy. And so the fact that worth is tied to um, contributing to a system that is designed for us to fail and to um, uphold itself is, um, I don't want to say depressing, but it's, <laughs> it's important to, um, to understand that, to be able to kind of dismantle those notions of worth tied to, um, you know, working and, and contribution and what success is supposed to look like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we are kind of in a difficult position in that, um, we, you know, our laws and our policies and our practices as a society are a reflection of the values that have been collectively held. And so, you know, when we look at things, um, for example, like uh, workers' rights, you know, the U.S. is one of the, the very, I think one of the only, if not the only uh, sort of large industrialized countries that doesn't have um, sort of federal rules about things like um, maternity leave or family medical leave. And so, you know, we see uh, this value of productivity being put over health. And now we've created policies and systems that really uphold that. So we're sort of caught in this circle um, of, of perpetuating that cycle in really challenging ways. Um, and I think that we also uh, have talked about, you know, psychological safety being a big part of this, a sort of the mental health components. And for me, that's the most concerning aspect of, of um, mm -hmm. how capitalism can impact our uh, society is sort of the mental uh, framework and how that impacts our mental health. And we're going to um, kind of talk more about that. Yeah, so psychological safety is really tied to, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and going back to like evolutionary processes of, of you know, your body responding to fear and to, you know, threats to your safety as like one of the number one things that your body has responses to. And now it looks less like we see the bear and we um, have fight, flight, or freeze, but now that bear is um, trying to make a living wage. So, <laughs> you know, constantly being stuck in, in a situation where you have to, you know, fight for your ability to survive, that actually impacts your body as if that your, your life is at stake, because it is at stake. Um, and, and that can take a toll physically with your chronic stress response. That can take a toll mentally, absolutely. Um, it can impact your ability to, for your brain to really process things in a healthy way. Um, you know, if you're constantly stuck in this fear mindset and, and we don't always think of it as that, like so viscerally um, as like, oh, I have to go to work um, because my life is at stake you know, you don't always think of it in that way, but your body doesn't always know that. Um, so um, that that's something that can really start to, like eat away at people's well-being and ability to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we're all aware of sort of 
the rise of chronic stress and a lot of uh, chronic illnesses and things like that, that play into uh, these heightened states of feeling psychologically unsafe. And I think that Bella really uh, nailed the head, uh, hit the nail on the head with um, the idea that we might not be consciously aware of it, but our, our bodies have some inherent wisdom that our conscious minds sometimes don't. And it's definitely something that I think we see the effects of. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I also want to tie up, uh, tie it back to comparison and pressure and how shame plays into it because I mean, there's the, the safety piece of it of needing to work to survive, to put food on the table and all of that. But there's also like the cultural and social aspect of needing to have a job to be respected and to be seen as like a valuable human being. Um, and Brene Brown defines shame as the fear of being disconnected or irrelevant. And these huge systems like capitalism, the structures that our society is built upon really you know target those feelings of shame and fear to force you um to coerce you into um into subscribing to those systems and to participating in them even if you don't agree with them or um even if you haven't really thought about it and dissected it but you in your heart you wouldn't agree with it if you <laughs> knew all the things that were going on um, and so the opposite of shame is feeling empathy and, and that's feeling empathy for people who are struggling to work, um, people who just don't want to work. And even when I say that, I feel internally like my immediate response is like, oh my gosh, not working. That is such a shameful, like horrible thing to do um, because that's what I've been told. And I'm sure like hearing that it sounds, it sounds like so undesirable like oh my gosh that person chose not to work that's so like lazy and unproductive of them but why why is our system this way where if you you don't do the same thing that everyone else is doing you are not a valuable human being and you're not worthy of love and care and comfort and and basic human needs um you know like the look at how we treat houseless people if they don't have a job or if they're not working towards getting a job, we like look down upon them and we dehumanize them so much um, that we don't even support our own people, you know? And so the way to combat that is with empathy. And, and that starts with yourself, of course, with self-compassion. Um, I'm always going to talk about self-compassion and look back on that old episode if you're wanting to dive deep or wanting a refresher on it. Um, but starting with the self and, and, and bringing empathy into conversations with how you view success, um, worth, you know, all of those things. Yeah. In Amanda Palmer's book, The Art of Asking, she talks about her experience being um, a street performer or a busker and that shame she felt and the voice she always had heard in her head of, why don't you just get a job? And I think about that a lot. That is um, the voice of society. Just get a job. <laughs> um, so in kind of talking about some of these overarching themes, uh, we've, you know, started to hit on some of the health impacts, but we're going to start diving a little bit more specifically into those. 
And I want to just set up um, for anyone who uh, might not be as familiar with some of the more intricate workings of the healthcare system in the U.S., um, so we do have what's as what is referred to as a free market system, and essentially what that means is that you know instead of healthcare being sort of um, uh, subsidized or regulated um, by the government, that it's um, privatized, which means that it's really driven by um, profit and individual businesses choosing um, sort of how they're going to run things. And this is really unique being a large industrialized country. Um, we are the only country that runs our healthcare system this way. Most other um, sort of comparable countries have some sort of regulation and subsidization because um, they view healthcare as a, a basic human right and not a luxury. And that's really kind of the difference in the values that you can see. And, um, you know, essentially, what this private healthcare system has created is an opportunity for people to make money and profit off of people's sickness um, or you know needing of healthcare, and so that's kind of the the dynamic. And in case anyone wasn't aware that that plays out in the healthcare system, and really, you know, we often talk about how this impacts medical care delivery. You know, doctors' visits and prescriptions and all those kinds of things. But there's a lot of other uh, aspects of wellness that it impacts. And kind of like we were saying previously, because capitalism is so pervasive in every aspect of our society, it really shows up in any aspect of health and wellness as well. And so we're going to talk a little bit more um, about sort of health disparities as opposed to um, like the medical system and kind of what that looks like. Yeah, so we've mentioned this before about um, the social determinants of health. And if you're a public health major or have ever taken a health class, you probably know about this. But it's always good to keep in mind and to refresh and think about the ways that our health is impacted by the systems we are you know, living in and, and growing up in. So things like um, racism, ableism, the zip code you grew up in, um, dealing with poverty. I, you know, poverty really is probably the hugest factor um, in these social determinants of health. And you can go up the, um, you know, if you compare a graph of like health and wealth, they are going to be pretty parallel and this um this goes beyond race um it goes beyond gender poverty and and class um disparities are are absolutely just so destructive and the relationship is so clear um that you know you'd think people would be doing something about it more but um but you know that's that's a whole nother soapbox about you know politics and community involvement in um decision making and the way that zoning works and um you know our ability to participate in democracy and all of that but um but yeah i think it's it's important that we think about um how class and and poverty relate to our health and and 
you know, it can be really easy. We've talked about this before too, about it can be really easy to, to feel hopeless and to start getting down um, in, in a mindset and having a negative mindset when you think about these things is like, oh my gosh, well, you know, do I even have a say in my health? Is there anything I can do? Or is everything just set up for me to like suffer and fail? Like <laughs> it can be easy to, to go down those, those rabbit holes. And um, we will, we'll talk more about how you can like reclaim your health and empower your health. But at the same time, like there are social and, and structural factors that are just completely out of our control in a lot of ways. Yeah. And to kind of um, emphasize your point about uh, socioeconomic status or poverty and health, um, the United States has the biggest wage gap, meaning that um, the people who are the richest versus um, the people who are not, which is, you know, the middle class, the majority, um, that is the most significant in the U.S. of any country. And we also have some of the worst health outcomes. which how we measure those are pretty standardized things like life expectancy um, uh, for com- in comparison to comparable other countries. So I think that those two factors alone really highlight that um, poverty and health uh, correlation. Um, and I also really want to emphasize how capitalism uh, supports ableism. Uh, capitalism is really rooted in this idea that you have to produce things and that you have to produce things with your um, time, your labor, your energy, et cetera. And for um, folks who, for whatever reason, are do not have a capacity to produce in that way, um, capitalism basically says that, that they aren't valuable or that that's not valuable. Um, and that's really problematic and Uh, I think that we see uh, long-term effects of that type of ableism, not only in our communities of folks with disabilities, but also just sort of normalizing um, chronic illness and not recognizing how this system is creating chronic illness or creating disability um, because it's set up to, uh, you know, prioritize profit over, um, over health and wellness and stuff like that. So, uh, people in the disability community who are really, um, uh, actively working on bringing this to light and fighting for health justice. I mean, they've been, um, leaders in health justice for a long time. And so I think that's worth uh, a specific mention as well. Um, but another big, Uh, impact that we see that capitalism has had on health and wellness is actually health and wellness becoming an industry. Um, I don't probably have an exact timeline. I mean, things like sort of quote medications have been sold um, for centuries, but the wellness industry uh, is kind of a newer phenomenon and Um, It's super, super interesting and a little bit twisted to talk about. So we're going to get into a little bit of that. So um, there's a really specific dynamic that we see happen with the wellness industry. And, you know, we're saying this, like, as people who are part of that, we're health educators. Um, And so 
uh, things like, you know, diets and supplements and gym memberships and, you know, all of the different things that you have to pay for that are going to make you quote healthy, um, are, are, there's kind of a really overarching dynamic. Um, and, and it's effective. This is like a multi-billion dollar industry. There's a lot of money to be made in the wellness, um, industry. And so kind of, we were talking about shame before and, uh, that shame is an excellent tool for, um, companies to use, to make us feel bad so that we buy things. And so, you know, we start with shame and there's, uh, we can see a lot of shaming pertaining to the wellness industry through things like fat phobia and ableism. And then, uh, oftentimes pseudoscience comes in and there's a lot of misinformation out there about, you know, what makes you healthy? What does your body need? Um, what things are quote good or bad for your body? And, and so uh, then pseudoscience is able to use um, that shame and say, hey, here's a solution uh, to your shame. And then um, we have this component of individual responsibility and really, uh, you know, like we've been saying, these are big systemic things that are going on that are impacting people's health. And frankly, they're just out of our control as individual people um, or even as groups of people. And so one way that, uh, you know, corporations or government agencies can kind of shirk the responsibility for these health outcomes is by putting it on the individual. It's your responsibility to take care of your own health and to pay for your own health. No one else's. That's the, the narrative that we have. And so, you know, once we, we've got the shame, we've got the pseudoscience, we've got, this is your problem and you need to fix it. And that's really the recipe um, to get people to buy in to the, the industry of health. Um, and it's, it's really gross um, making money off of people's really just inherent desire to, I mean, one, live <laughs> and two, to just live in a way that feels like they're, you know, worthy and acceptable and doing the right thing. Um, it's, it's really difficult and it's really awful that, that it happens in this way. Um, and I also just want to quickly mention the idea of healthism, um, which is the moral attachment to health. Um, the idea that if you aren't being healthy and you're not trying to be healthy, um, then what you're doing is morally wrong. Yeah, I think that's so important. Everything that you said, and I was actually just watching a piece about, um, multi-level marketing and pyramid schemes, and they sound like, you know, such a joke and a silly thing that, you know, happens in our society, but really when you like boil it down, it's exploiting people's like poverty, um, and desire to, to be healthy. That is likely resulting from their poverty. Um, so like claiming that your little supplement, um, is, is going to cure their cancer. Like that is just so disgusting and horrible. And, and it, people get trapped in these, in these systems and subscribing to these ideals of, of what health is going to be and that there's a magic cure somewhere. And there's just no magic cure. There's, you know, that's just not how health works and not how the human body works. And, um, 
it, it just is saddening to hear that this is something that still goes on and that people are still, you know, impacted by. It. And often this is like communities of color, low income communities. Um, and one other thing I just have to mention with this is the, um, the way that soda companies and fast food companies prey upon communities of color and low income communities. It's absolutely inhumane, disgusting, and and should anger everyone um, because they they profit off of um, people's like inability to take care of themselves or or have access to health resources or um, have healthy communities and it just perpetuates itself and 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 allows the the healthcare industry to make money off of that and the fact that they just all these industries work together to make money off of your suffering is um infuriating sorry i'm getting heated today <laughs> no it's like a really it's a really frustrating situation and you bring up a really good point in that not only are we being sold things that are supposedly going to make us healthier, but they're not, but we're also being sold things that are going to make us less healthy in some ways. And I was just reading about um, Michelle Obama's uh, Let's Move initiative, um, which as much as I love Michelle Obama, that is a, a incredibly fat phobic um, initiative. And uh, so part of the goal of that was, it was to, you know, quote, fight childhood obesity and the, uh, like sponsors and stuff, people who, or companies who were participating in this initiative were companies like Coca-Cola. And it, it, it's just absurd to me that a company like Coca-Cola is, you know, sort of masquerading as now helping and being beneficial to, to health when they have business practices that, like you just said, you know, exploit low-income communities or communities of color, and then, you know, sell back a product to them that is not uh, benefiting their health or their wellness, um, most likely. So, yeah, there's there's a lot going on here. Um, <laughs> when we yeah. were preparing for this, we were like, we could talk about this for like five hours because there's so many different um, different components, but, um, Bella, what else do you want to say about this? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's just one more thing, I guess, about corporations, um, in terms of what you were talking about, like, having what they say match what they do, um, and the nature of corporations under the system of capitalism is such that that will rarely be true. Um, they will rarely be actually committed to true sustainability, to, um, you know, the complete well wellness and welfare of their employees, um, to ethical decision making, because there, you know, there's the common phrase, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Like, it's, it's just um, corporations selling you the idea of morality 
Um, and, and there's a lot of guilting in our, in our current age of like, oh, look how moral I am. Look, I'm going back to my community. Oh, look, we're, we're anti-racist and we've never been racist. And we're, um, we're all so diverse. Look at us. Um, we take care of our employees when we know for a fact that that's not true. Um, and the fact that we're trying, they're monetizing morality and, um, and healthism, as you were saying, is, yeah, I don't have an adjective to describe that because then I'm just going to start cursing and I'm not going to curse on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I, your, your sentiments are, are met. Um, but yeah, so in the midst of all of this, uh, anger and frustration, and like Bella said, you know, this is kind of what can happen when we talk and think about these systems, because they're so big and they're so pervasive and it can feel, um, like we are stuck and like we can't do anything and like we're kind of you know doomed and things like that um and while we don't want to prioritize or put this responsibility um to make changes back on you uh as an individual um there's sort of this balance of understanding these larger systems and injustices and having um, ways to feel like we can have some sort of control or to make changes um, because it can be really difficult uh, to just move through the world feeling like we're completely helpless. Um, And so with that in mind, um, we're just going to talk a little bit about some of the ways that we can prioritize uh, sort of true health and wellness um, and financial justice sort of as a means of resistance um, to capitalism. Yeah, and I think one way to start with that, um, it's not necessarily a simple way to start, but um, understanding the the connection between capitalism and an individualist culture. So like really understanding how um, capitalism makes you believe that every single bad thing that happens to you is your fault and that you are the one who has to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and that um you can't accept help from other people you have to be independent you know all those things um and if you're not working and producing then you're not a a worthy citizen you know um and one way we can you know combat that is through communalism and through a community mindset um to kind of disrupt that individualism. Um, And, and I think there's room for both self-care and that individual, um, you know, healing and, and community healing. And I think those can happen congruently and and together. Um, And, and how we can really transform our individualist culture into a culture where there's communal care and responsibility and there's the you know it takes a village and we um really uplift communities to take care of each other and and the the example that i see of this happening in a really toxic way under capitalism is like gofundmes um and the fact that people have to try to muster and and band together to um, help someone pay for a funeral or to get a life-saving procedure um, or to make rent that month like that's kind of an example of how we've been forced to do this in 
in a really unsustainable way. Um, but I think there there is room and opportunity um, on a on a massive scale that we need to be taking care of each other and and using that healing as a source of um, you know building that energy back up as a community to be able to undo these systems and and dismantle the disruptive structures that are um, you know really causing the exploitation and suffering that we see. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, sort of with that, a way that we can do that too, is, um, to sort of redirect our attention from, you know, profits and things and whether, you know, this is, uh, if you perhaps are, you know, sort of like as a business owner or as somebody who, um, works in, in business or whatnot, you know, there's that sort of technical component, uh, that, uh, some, uh, sort of more progressive business models are, are looking at recentering people and things like that. But, um, sort of on a personal level, uh, this is something that I've had to kind of struggle with, um, because capitalism tells us, like Bella said, you know, in, because it's individualistic, it tells us that we don't need people. If we buy something instead, it will fix whatever our pain is or whatever that need that isn't being met. Um, and so how many times have I gone to target for retail therapy when I'm having a hard mental health day Yes, (laughs) and target will fix all my problems. Exactly. (laughs) Right. And so like we, we buy things when really we need, you know, to talk to someone or we need to be held or we need these, uh, you know, people connections. And so, you know, maybe just taking some time to think and consider, areas where you can, you know, sort of recenter people and, um, decenter, you know, spending or things or all of the stuff that capitalism tells us that we should do. Yeah. And I, I think another piece of that, um, that can be done as an individual or in community is, um, the, the idea of play and joy. Um, and Dr. Stuart Brown from Stanford actually says, the opposite of play is not work, it's depression. So the the structure that we live in with the way we've designed society um, doesn't allow much room for play and for exploration and discovery and all of that and all of those things as an adult, um, you know? So, you know, making room for being silly and being stupid and, and you know, just, having fun and and creating joyful opportunities, I think is really undervalued and it's really tied to, to psychological well-being. Um, and, and that, like I said, that can be done on an individual level and in community and then like having play with other people, you know, um, that could be just such a healing way to, um, build those connections and those bonds. Yeah. And I think that can also be a really good way to, um, sort of invest in yourself. Like we're again, by capitalism taught that we're supposed to spend our time and our money, you know, buying things, uh, contributing to corporations, making profits, et cetera. And for me, I really feel like empowered through resistance when I don't do those things. And instead I do something that feels really good to me. Um, and that can be things like, 
you know, doing something fun and silly with a group of friends. Um, so it's another, another opportunity. Yeah. And, and it's important to understand how academics and university and schools, how that ties into it as well. And even if it's not, um, you know, if you're a full-time student and you're not working in nine to five every day, um, you know, being in school and, and having the goals of getting the best job and getting good benefits and, you know, that sort of thing um, is completely a, a part of this capitalist structure and culture as well. So understanding that, um, that school motivations um, are tied to it and, and need to be considered in, in how we make time for self-care and make time for community and healing and, um, and resisting. And, and sometimes your resisting is, is taking care of yourself. Um, when we talked about this before, I won't talk about it again, how um, self-care is an act of resistance and is an act of self-liberation. And especially if, if you've you know, if you're in marginalized groups and, and that sort of thing, it's like taking power back by, um, you know, fueling and nourishing your own power. Yeah, I love that fueling and nourishing your own power. That should be like a t-shirt or a button or a sticker, all of the above. Um, but, uh, you know, to get a little bit more technical, um, some other things that might uh, feel empowering and might be um, important to you that uh, relate to kind of changing this social system of capitalism um, can be things like getting involved in uh, organizations that are doing work um, to, you know, to resist capitalism or to make changes, um, you know, community groups, grassroots groups, um, possibly voting if that's something that you have access to, um, things like that, because, you know, it is, it is a systemic thing and um, systems have to be changed. They have to be dismantled. Uh, laws and policies have to be uh, made different. And so that can just be another area that might be um, uh, some, somewhere where you can have some energy directed uh, into things that are meaningful to you. Um, yeah, and I think there's also, um, you know, some psychologists actually talk about like the power of feeling like you're contributing. And I, I mean this in a way of contributing to humans and to community rather than contributing in the sense of capitalism. Um, but contributing in a way that's like giving back, um, it's, it's, it helps with a sense of belonging and it helps with meaning and purpose. And, and I think that's, that's really important to not push aside is that we, we do as humans need to have that feeling of, of purpose that our life is meaningful and that we're doing something with it. But, um, if we can reframe that to be in a way that's like, okay, how do we, um, how do we help people? How do we make the world a better place without making it such like a, a toxic um, thing that, you know, a lot of people start with that when they're starting out in their careers, like, oh, I want to help people. And it can very quickly become, 
you know, getting stuck in the systems that we've been dissecting. Um, so how do we keep those motivations and understand when we're straying from the path a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Bella mentioned, uh, you know, kind of giving back. And I think that another way that we can uh, see sort of resistance to, to capitalism is the redistribution of wealth, but through a really um, communal sense. Uh, you know, before capitalism, very, 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 very long time ago, um, communities took care of each other through, you know, social networks and shared resources and things like that. And I think that if we can um, move towards some of that uh, a little bit more and, you know, finding ways that we have uh, the capacity to contribute to our communities or other, other folks um, that can also be, be pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Crystal and I are going to link in the description some resources, articles and things um, about like alternative systems to capitalism. Um, we are not economists, um, so that's not going to be our job. Um, but if you're interested in learning more about that, we will be leaving those resources down below. Um, and like to, to begin our closing, I just want to leave you all with um, an assignment and it's my, my first assignment I'm giving out in the podcast, but the assignment is to um, try and let go of the word lazy. Imagine a world where um, lazy was not part of your vocabulary and we can reframe it to mean things like rest. Um, we can value anti-productivity and, and rebelling against this, um, you know, all of the things we've been talking about, um, subscribing to the, to the system. And understanding that the concept of lazy is really, tied to capitalism and to um, worthiness being part of productivity. Um, and, you know, I myself have been told like, and Crystal can speak to this too, like um, if you're sleeping in on a Saturday during the weekend, you know, oh my gosh, you're a lazy person, like you're a couch potato, you know, get up and, um, <laughs> you know, there has to be room for rest. There has to be room for healing and recovery and if you're feeling quote-unquote lazy or um you're needing to stay in bed all day or something like really examining that and understanding where that's coming from rather than just putting it off as like oh you're not doing anything that means that's a reflection of your value yeah absolutely i love this assignment um <laughs> And with that, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. Thank you everyone for listening. And I hope you remember that you are incredibly valuable no matter how much you do or how much you make. Yes. And there's a, um, um, a sleep meditation I listen to sometimes that's um, based in gratitude. And this phrase always like feels so good in my soul. There's nothing else you need to do. So if you're going to sleep, just repeat that to yourself. There's nothing else you need to do. It's okay to rest. It's okay to heal. 
okay to enter dream world. It's okay to enter play and joy and create that for yourself and for your people. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you on our next episode, which will be posted every Friday this term. While PSU has gone remote for the time being, we wanted to let you know that Shaq is still here for you. We are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503 503- 725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number 503-725-2800. If you are looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday or you can download the Campus Well app. You can also check out the virtual Mind Spa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including website links in the episode description. We also have a Google form that you can complete with any questions about health, shack, or anything we discuss in the podcast. You can find the link in the episode description. Thanks for listening, and take care.